Some people are just hard to be friends with. Take Jessica Flesher, for instance. Remember her, the lead character in Murder, She Wrote? She lived in Cabot Cove, a village of only 3,500 people, but some 274 of her closest friends and neighbors bought it in just 12 seasons. You didn't want to go to a party with her, for you or would either die or be accused of something. You had to be careful around Jessica Fletcher. Her character famously said, there are three things you can never have enough of in life, chocolate, friends, and theater. And she would have spelled it with an R-E at the end. Chocolate, friends, and theater, amen? Today would have been Angela Lansbury's 97th birthday, but unfortunately she died earlier this week. Her voice was part of the soundtrack of my children's childhood as she and Jerry Orbach from Law & Order sang, Be Our Guest, Be Our Guest, put our service to the test. It would have been much easier to be friends with the welcoming Mrs. Potts. She then honored us with a tale as old as time, Beauty and the Beast. Jesus' story today is a tale as old as time, a story about comparing ourselves to others, about a beauty and a beast, a Pharisee and a publican, a religious leader and a tax collector. I think the Pharisee might also bear a striking resemblance to Gaston. I bet both the Pharisee and the tax collector were hard to be friends with, but for different reasons. One was so sure of himself and the other unsure of himself, yet both came to worship. So I invite you here in worship to hear the good news from the 18th chapter of Luke, verses 9 to 17 from the CEB, which is what the children would be reading from on this Kids Sunday. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and all those who make themselves low will be lifted up. People were bringing babies to Jesus so that he would bless them. When the disciples saw this, they scolded Jesus. Then Jesus called them to him and said, Allow the children to come to me. Do not forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. This is the good news according to the Gospel of Luke. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, help us on this Children's Sunday to humbly and faithfully be open to what you've called us to do. Help us to be administrative children in our community. Amen. We are blessed, we are blessed that the children have a place here at Dunwoody United Methodist. But that was not the case in Jesus' day. Children often were not valued and included as they are today. And Jesus says to the children, be my guest, be my guest. Come be welcome and be blessed. When I was a kid, one of the soundtracks of my childhood was from Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you tell which one is not like the others by the time I finish my song? Jesus draws a stark contrast between the characters in this parable. One is definitely not like the other. 
They both go up to the temple to pray. They both show up and worship supposedly for the same purpose, but their postures and their prayers are so different. In fact, I'm not sure the Pharisee was actually praying. He begins by thanking God, which is a beautiful thing, which should always be a great prayer. But after that, after he says thank you, he gets a bit more specific. Thank you, God, that I am not like those people. We could each fill in the blanks ourselves with our own beastly ideas. But the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, and cheaters. Then he gets even more specific or even like this tax collector. I imagine him looking down his nose or even pointing at the beast of a tax collector and saying, God, look at this fellow. He could only be strong when he made others weak. Nothing shows your false faithfulness like being condescending in your prayers. Prayers should contain adoration, but not for ourselves. The Pharisee starts out by adoring himself rather than God. God, look how beautifully I do all of your commandments. His words feel more like a performance than a prayer. God, look at me and how great I am. I not only follow the commandments, I exceed all of your expectations. I deserve extra credit, God. The rules say fast once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I do much better than that. I do it twice a week and I tithe on every single thing I get, even gift cards. Look at me, aren't you impressed? Now, God isn't against righteousness. As we finish our year of studying Luke and Acts, go back through and page through the beginning of Luke. The story of Luke begins lifting up righteousness. The temple priest and his wife, Zachariah and Elizabeth, both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and the regulations of the Lord. So God wants us to obey the commandments. In chapter two, the old man Simeon at the temple is described as righteous and devout. And Anna, who'd been waiting there in the temple day after day, week after week for the promised child, it says she never left the temple, but she worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. These seem like the same qualities of the Pharisee, righteous and devout, faithful to the law, beautiful things, but his righteousness was a performance. He was self-congratulatory, calling attention to himself, saying things like, no one is more humble than me. It's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Because personally, I need you to know that I don't park on campus on Sunday mornings. I park over at Primrose so you can have better parking spots. There's no spot reserved here for the pastor. Although I do like this spot at the Ben Hill United Methodist Church. I also try to pick up litter on my way into the church each week. And I'm sometimes even tempted to look around just to see if anyone is noticing my extra efforts. Isn't that what we all want? Just a little bit of recognition for our hard work, some appreciation for going the extra mile. Thank God I'm not like some other pastors. Oops, it's easy to become a Pharisee. We think that what we're doing is beauty, but when we do it to be recognized, it can be beastly. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that Pharisee. Whoops, I did it again. The minute I fall into the comparison trap, making myself feel better by looking down at another, I become that Pharisee. I become who I don't want to be. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? And that is the genius of Jesus' story. When you evaluate your life or faithfulness on who you're better than, you have become the beast. A husband got this text from his wife. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. Y-O-U-R. So he texted her back. No, you're 
the best thing that ever happened to me, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. She was delighted by his response. She seemed so happy to see him when they finally reconnected in person, but he had a dilemma. Should he tell her? Should he tell her that he was just correcting her grammar? There is beauty and the beast in each of us. Speaking of grammar, do you know the name Noah Webster? He was also quite hard to be friends with. Now today is his, also his birthday. Noah was quirky and odd. He thought quite highly of himself and didn't always get along with other people. He was accomplished in his own right. He advised people like Benjamin Franklin and George Washington. He co-founded Amherst College, started America's first daily newspaper and pushed Congress to pass copyright laws. He personally counted all the houses in every town he visited. He was a bit OCD. Traveling across America in the late 1700s, he counted 20,380 houses in 22 cities. Imagine having to go count houses with your friend Noah. One night at dinner with George Washington at Mount Vernon in 1785, Washington mentioned he wanted a Scottish tutor for his step-grandchildren. Noah Webster, then all of 26 years old, told the 53-year-old hero of the revolution, you should find an American for that job. A lot of people didn't like him because of his vanity, his self-centeredness. When he met Dr. Benjamin Rush at a dinner party in Philadelphia, Rush congratulated Webster on his safe arrival in the city and Webster replied, sir, you may congratulate Philadelphia on this occasion. What a beast. Noah Webster wanted to reform American spelling. He succeeded at least in part. He took out the excess letters like U in color or honor, the extra L in traveler or the E at the end of acts or the O-U-G-H in plow. He also reversed the R-E in theater and center to make them more American. I'm glad he didn't mess with friends or chocolate. Some of his changes didn't make it like the B-R-E-D for bread, W-I-M-M-E-N for women, T-U-N-G for tongue and D-A-W-T-E-R for daughter. It took him 28 years to complete his magnum opus, an American dictionary of the English language. To write his dictionary, he learned 26 different languages and it included 70,000 words and one in every six words had never been listed in a dictionary before. They included some emerging Americanisms like squash, applesauce, hickory, chowder, and skunk, as well as some words of his own invention like vernate to become young again or afterwise to be wise afterwards. He was such a beast that he would publish anonymously, praising his own work and trashing that of his critics. Webster was an early troll. When he finally had an experience of God in his life at 40, people said it just made him into a pious blowhard. I'm sure he and the Pharisee would have gotten along swimmingly. Despite his issues, Webster gave us the gift words and their definitions. They're so important. The Pharisee misunderstood the word prayer. He was performing for others and for God, but the tax collector stood at a distance, knowing he had issues. He knew that he was a beast working with the Romans, skimming off the top, over-assessing folks. Yet in a moment of clarity, he looked down and beat his chest, pleading and praying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A pretty good prayer for all of us. The Pharisee highlighted the best about himself. The tax collector admitted the worst about himself. The contrast was evident to all within earshot. It's like those pictures. Here I am on Instagram as you start thinking about Thanksgiving and here it is in reality. 
or this is an advertisement for what a Big Mac is supposed to look like. And then this is the reality. Even though God knows everything about this Pharisee, he wants to be sure God and the rest of his audience knows just how good and how faithful he is. I was visiting one of our churches on a Sunday morning and the pastor handed out three by five cards to everyone who was there in church. Then he said, we're seeking to be a welcoming church. And in order to do that, we need to be clear about the people that we already welcome. So I would like you to take this card and to write on it, what is something that you've done that the person sitting next to you on the pew, if they knew it, they wouldn't want to sit next to you next week. I looked up and down my pew, just me and one other person. He invited us into a time of confession. Write down something that you've done that you're not really proud of, that you think the person next to you on the pew wouldn't want to sit next to you because of that. Don't put your name on the card, he said, because when you're done, we're going to pass the collection plates and collect all your answers. I thought, no one is actually going to do this. Why would anyone write it down? And then he said, don't worry, no one from our church is ever going to see your handwriting. We've hired a temp to come in this week to type them all up so they all look the same so that when you come back to church next week, you'll be able to see what everyone else said. We'll have it posted on the walls of the sanctuary. I'm told they had a huge crowd the next week. Everyone had wanted to see the kind of people that they were sitting with to see everybody's worst about themselves right there in black and white. I wasn't sure anybody would do it, but when I looked behind me, There was a young woman writing diligently. I didn't see what she was writing. I didn't want to be rude, intrusive, but she filled out three cards. And when she put them in the offering plate, you could see the relief on her face as she offered her worst to God. Be merciful to me, O God, a sinner. She gave God the worst of who she was because she felt the love and the welcome of that place. I don't know if you remember But in Beauty and the Beast, the beast feels unworthy of love. He tries to scare everyone away to keep their distance. If you think I'm a beast, I'll show you that I'm a beast. The beast doesn't change, though, because he's been told he has to, with someone shaking a finger at his beastliness. It's not the rules or the judgment that changed the beast. It was love. He was changed by love. The beast changes back into who he was designed to be because of how much he was loved. I think there's beauty in the beast of all of us. We at Dunwoody United Methodist want to be a church that leads with the love of Christ because we believe that is what transforms people. When the publican went home, he went home justified, put right with God, and he was able to say, God, you are the best thing that has ever happened to me. You know my worst and still you love me. The beast became the beauty in confession and repentance, while the one who was convinced of his beauty showed his beastly side, thanking God that he was better than so many others. When Angela Lansbury was asked to perform so that the animators could watch her as she sang, she refused. She wanted just to sing the song. She said, if you're watching me, I'll be self-conscious. And I want to be able to give my best. I want to be able to give this my best. She didn't want all the eyes on her, but they did get a small clip. Brewing, I'll get warm, I'll be hot. Heaven's sakes, is that a spot? Clean it up, we want the company in press. We've got a lot to do. 
is it not the fortune for you, our guest? She's our guest. Normally, they would record every facial expression. You can see how animated she was. Yet years later, at the 25th anniversary of Beauty and the Beast, at the age of 90, she stood on the stage to humbly perform a tale as old as time. as old as time True as it can be Barely even friends Then somebody bends Unexpectedly Just a little change Small to say the least both a little scared, neither one prepared, beauty and the beast, ever just the same, ever a surprise, ever as before, ever just as sure as the sun will rise. Tale as old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you are wrong She sang Tale as old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you were wrong Finding you can change, learning you were wrong. If you're not careful, you could read that as one sentence. Finding you could change and learning you were wrong, that you couldn't change. Nope, I can't change. I can't make changes anymore. There's no way I can change. But the truth is God can change us when we admit the worst about ourselves. When we admit the worst about ourselves, we learn that we can change because we found out we were wrong. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee follows God's commandments, but but did not rely on God's mercy. The tax collector relied on God's mercy, but did not follow God's commandments. So when we experience God's mercy, we want to joyfully follow God's commandments. I went to the bookstore the other day and asked the clerk to direct me to the self-help section. She said, wouldn't that defeat the purpose? The Pharisee tried self-help. What he needed was God's help to turn the beast into beauty. Rather than calling attention to our obedience, why not pay attention to our obedience? When we admit the worst, we can begin to see the beauty that God already sees in us and in others. God, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. You saw beauty in me and I'm sorry that I have been a beast at times. It's hard to be friends with someone who cannot admit the truth about themselves. Give God your beast. May the beast within us trust in God as we live in beautiful obedience. It's a tale as old as time, finding beauty in the beast. Amen.